0: 2018. My name is Tom Chick and my game of the week is not Endless Space 2, which might be a little surprising to you because I love Endless Space 2. Uh, Amplitude did a great job with the Space 4X genre. And by the way, I hate that, that term, Space 4X. It's so forced, this idea that you explore, exterminate, expand, and... Uh, I can never remember the fourth one. It's like the seven dwarves. You always forget one of them, and it's usually Doc. Exploit. Great, right? No, did I say that one? At any rate, I hate that whole 4X conceit. I, I hate this idea that grand space strategy games, uh, you always do these four things, and we're going to bring them up because they begin with the letters EX. It, it should actually be 4E. However, I can't begrudge these folks at Blue Wizard... Uh, for making a game called Space Tyrant, which they describe, uh, and they're being they're being intentionally precious with this, they describe it as a 5X game, uh, and I don't even know what the 5X is, probably something about how you're evil. Uh, but what I love about Space Tyrant, and I'm about to speak with Dave Quinn, the designer, the lead developer on, on Space Tyrant, over at Blue Wizard Games. What uh, actually, I think they're called Blue Wizard Digital. If you, if you, uh, you know, want to look up their LLC filings or some such thing. Uh, what I love about what they've done with Space Tyrant is taken this epic space strategy game genre. Uh, Endless Space Two being my my current favorite. Uh, I also heartily recommend a game called Stars in Shadow for its playful uh, Master of Orion tone. Uh, there is an unsung work of genius. I don't want to use that word too lightly. But a fantastic space epic strategy game called Star Ruler 2. that uh, I, Why aren't more people aware of that or playing that way. It's a great piece of work. Specifically, you know, you play Stellaris and you complain about, at least I do, about the lack of diplomatic interaction that you can have with the other uh, races because Paradox has done a great job with that over the years with EU and Crusader Kings and Victoria, uh, in terms of letting you interact with the different countries and having diplomats you send around and a resource that you spend. Uh, At any rate, Star Ruler is uh, is I'll, I will use the word genius there. It has an ingenious system for uh, diplomacy, for how you interact with the other races other than blowing up their ships. So, But I'm here to talk to you today about Space Tyrant, which takes this 4X genre that normally involves sitting down at your computer for uh, – I don't know how long it takes you guys, but I could probably play an RPG – in the time it takes me to play a space epic strategy game. You know, I could probably get through Persona 5. Not really. But I do sit down. When I sit down to play one of these, I'm thinking, yeah, this is like going to be 10 hours. If I'm going to see it through. Uh, and what Space Tyrant does is it, it's like, no, nah, you know what? You don't need 10 hours to get through this sort of gameplay. You don't need 10 hours to enjoy expanding an epic space empire and fighting other people and researching tech and all that, do it in uh, one hour, two hours. And they are enormously successful at it. Uh, space Tyrant 2 is a, does a great job streamlining this usually expansive genre. Uh, it's super playful. The folks at, at Blue Wizard Limited, some of them come from PopCap. Uh, and their previous game is Slay Away Camp which is also a super playful game, but very much a puzzle game. Uh, If you're into that sort of thing, I think you would enjoy Slayaway Camp, which has a really cute uh, slasher movie theme. You know, it's occurring to me now, Blue Wizard is really enamored of uh, evil and villains. Because in Slayaway Camp, you play basically Jason Voorhees. I think they even got the Friday the 13th licensing. Uh, you play a, a, a killer in a slasher movie, and you have to figure out how best to kill people without the cops finding you and all that stuff. And they're little kind of tile puzzles. It's cute stuff. Uh, and now Space Tyrant is about being an evil overlord. I don't know what their deal is over there at Blue Wizard, but they like their villainy. So uh, rather than listening to me jaw about Space Tyrant let's talk to Dave Quinn. I'm going to ask him some stuff about what they've done, why they've done it. Uh, We're going to get into a little bit of nuts and bolts that might be over your head or might be confusing or make no sense if you haven't played Space Tyrant. Uh, But I do recommend addressing that. Space Tyrant is a great piece of work. And let's go talk to Dave Quinn about it. Dave, I would like to hear a little bit about what is your background uh, and tell us about Blue Wizard, because you guys are you guys are fairly new kids on the block, if I'm not mistaken.
1: We are. Yeah. So uh, Blue Wizard is the brainchild of uh, Jason Kopaka, who was, uh, you know, known for a variety of things. But uh, most recently, he uh, um, did his tour of duty at uh, uh, PopCap Games, Hmm. um, where he, you know, like did a bunch of games, but he was, he had this impulse to make, you know, sort of more like gritty, uh, um, strategic kind of games. And, uh, that's what the, that's what the whole intent behind Blue Wizard is, is, uh, it's kind of like an outlet for all that pent up creativity that he had over all those years. And, uh, I, I had worked with him a little bit there, and when he decided that he was going to spin up a like a space strategy game, he immediately thought of me, uh, like myself and one other programmer who uh, had a strong interest in Sunday.
0: Now, why did he think of you? What, what is it about you, uh, Dave Quinn, that when Jason thinks space strategy game, I'm getting Dave, uh, uh, what, what brought you on board?
1: <laughs> you're going to laugh because I think you like these games too. It's not a space game, but it's uh, a strategy game uh, called Dominion's
0: sure the for the yeah. ill winter. or oh, you, you yeah. mean the, the tabletop card game or the guys at Illwinter? winter no, no
1: no ill winter yeah. sure yeah so while we were at PopCap, i arranged like multiple rounds of that strategy game and that's how he learned about my like deep interest in strategy and then you know we chit-chatted a lot about um the games that were um kind of the foundation for our idea idea for space starting which was you know like master Orion, um stellaris you mm-hmm. know uh, Basically, all the all the like galactic civilization, all the big like space opera type games, uh, we we went over in detail in many conversations.
0: So uh, I actually, uh, of course, hearing you mention Mu and Stellaris, that inspiration is obvious w- when you're playing, and you guys I think freely banter about the term 4x, which is used a lot of time, uh, a lot of times to describe those games. Uh, mm-hmm. But there is a, a kind of Uh, for lack of a better word, pop-cappy streamlining and enthusiasm and uh, sort of uh, uh, simplicity and joy and colorfulness about Space Tyrant that I I can't think of any precedent for that in this genre where you go out in space and you conquer things. Uh, I have to go back to old games like – I think there was something called Space Word Ho – way back oh, when, that, that had a kind of a light <laughs> touch, and it had colorful yeah. planets you would visit. Um,
1: Space so, Ho is actually, we, we jokingly put uh, hats on all the ships in one yeah. of the We did. <laughs> just as like a homage to Space World <laughs> Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me why you guys did this twist, and you didn't just make a serious, for real, hardcore 4X where I have to manage my populations farming and sure. I build my own ships and it takes me 40 hours to play through a game. <laughs> Why didn't you guys do
1: that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Tom. I, you know, when we started this project that actually was the goal, uh-huh. we, we came together, we said, okay, you know, the, the Moose series died out, but it has such a strong, you know, grip on all of us that we want to just kind of continue that legacy of like the grand space opera sort of thing. And, you know, in, in truth, we probably spent about, I don't know, three to four months prototyping uh, of a game in that fashion, right, in that style, like a grand space strategy game. You know, we had all these planets and all these nations and ships and all, you're moving your population from here to there and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, once we got to the you know, the three month or so mark, you know, we experimented with a bunch of things but we all had of this collective moment where we looked at each other and said, you know what, this, you know, this isn't the game I want to play anymore. I, you know, Master Ryan Orion 2 was amazing and beautiful for the time that I played it. But nowadays, if I was playing it again, I actually don't think I'd want to do it. I want, I want an experience that fits my life, you know, where, you know, you get home from work, you know, you've got plenty all these things to do. You don't have time to sit down and spend 40 hours to know whether you've won or lost. You know, and the, the game, I need to be half over. Uh, you know, you, what we wanted is a, like, a, a discrete experience. You know, you could sit down, you could say, all right, I'm, I want to play a strategy game, I've got an hour to do it. You know, like, what what kind of game can I make that you could have that experience? You know, you mm-hmm. can sit down and really bite your teeth down into something and get that feeling of, like, oh, yeah, I did this, I expanded all this stuff, and I fought some space battles, and I blew up some aliens, and, uh, and that's how, like, eventually that that arc of like oh yeah well what what can we do what can we boil away and you know like take down to its absolute essentials to uh, make that like really short concrete 4x experience
0: how hard was it to strip things away like what was uh, yeah so like what what kind of issues did you have like what things were most difficult to let go of because i look at space tyrant and i i play it and i i think well i'm I'm so glad like X, Y, and Z weren't added. The the, mm-hmm. the what, what really strikes me about Space Tyrant isn't necessarily that it doesn't take a long time to play because I will sit down and play Space Tyrant for four hours at a time. Uh, hey, so that's maybe- awesome. Because it's so compelling and because everything happens, it's so well-paced. There's always a new thing happening or a new thing to discover, or I'm constantly being rewarded or given a little micro-challenge. It pulls you forward very well. So when I play, I never get the sense of, well, I I miss colony management or, oh, I wish I could tell my ships who to to shoot at. Uh, So it, it seems to me what's left uh, I can't imagine anything being added. So what was hard to strip away to make it as streamlined as it is?
1: Yeah. I'm glad you appreciate the streamlining. It was very difficult to do. And it's, and that was very much, uh, a, a factor of the, you know, our pop cap training, you know, when we were training and all the games we did in PopCap were extremely streamlined, like boiled down to their absolute, you know, like most core features. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's what we we tried to bring into this game, and the things that were really really hard to streamline was probably the biggest one was uh, ground combat, like capturing planets.
0: <laughs> it's a d6. Because, How hard can that
1: be, Dave? Well, the thing is, we ended up with a d6. Right. We started off with this whole thing where you've got troops and troop transports and getting them to the to the place, and then oh, what are the bonuses they have, and do you have tanks or do you have Jets or and how many satellites are there? Wow. I, I tell you, I mean, we went through cautiously, probably 20 iterations of different mechanics just for that one feature, just for the one thing of how do you capture a planet.
0: Now, oh. I'm, not, I'm not surprised to hear that because that is such a Pitfall for a lot of space-based games is oh god, I have to load my marines onto a transport. Mm-hmm. Now I have to fly the transport. You know, I've got my badass fleet, and it's right. here at the planet. And now oh, god, I gotta have to wait for the, the space army to catch up. Um, <laughs> so that's almost never well done. Uh, so that I, that's just a delight to me that I just get a real quick exuberant d6 roll, and I'm done. You know, maybe I have to wait and do it again next turn. But just that simple gratification of am I going to get a one or a six or something in between, or you know, am I playing the bug race and I get a zero? (laughs) Uh, Like you guys, just that D six right there was it the aha eureka moment, or did even that require some iteration? Did you were you tempted to make it more complex?
1: Uh, Yes. So when we got down to the the D6, the D6 was the was the final iteration on a long line of extremely contentious, uh, you know, back and forth over that one thing. And Mm. then when we got to the the die roll, it was kind of an aha moment because we said, oh, look, you know, it's it, it it very concisely describes what's happening. You know, it's just who who's winning And then also you've got the drama, the the built-in drama of rolling dice, which we've had for we know works for years, right? You know, every every, any tabletop game you play, you roll the dice. There's always that like heightened moment of tension. I know, just like you're saying, you know, is it going to be one? Is it going to be six? Am I going to be able to get this planet this turn, or is it going to derail my whole offensive? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so it really it really was an aha moment, and we actually did. There was there was still a little bit of. Of arguing once we were on it, like when we originally did the dice, the dice did not have set faces, so it wasn't like a regular D6. It was it was just a cube, and then we would assign faces to it based on you know like some you know sort of esoteric factors from the game, and that was a way for us to kind of like play with the odds, you know like we could make we could make one nation a little more powerful, one nation a little less. And during early access that that got panned because people were people flipped out. They saw the cube and they were like, No, the cube has six faces, it has to have <laughs> six, you know, you people are the devil. <laughs> now so we, we quickly sort of had to backpedal from that one and just make them regular dice. Right, uh, right. But I, I would have liked to have it been a little bit more complex, like a couple of bit, a couple more factors.
0: Every yeah. now and then I'll be uh, attacking a planet, and I'll have a barracks and maybe mercenaries, and maybe I've got actually two fleets in this turn that just happened to be there. So the planet has a defense of two, and I'm rolling four dice. And and part of me is like, man, I hit that planet so hard. I, I should get extra tyranny. Uh <laughs> But i can appreciate the the simplicity like it it seems like the the overriding mandate behind this game is just make it simple stupid is just the simplicity and the consistency with certain rules you know i like that i don't have to think well if i wait and brought up another ship i could get more tyranny when i attack this planet uh i I just love I, i love what isn't in space tyrant um yeah
1: yeah, it's so- uh, like a lot of the, a lot of the simplicity. We re- we really really iterated hard to make sure that like it, it gave you the core experience. So sort of carried its its weight in the in the 4x and theme, but then also we made sure that every single time you're doing one of these small actions, so to speak, is that it always had drama associated with it. So that like in at every time, at every stage in the in the turn or over your mission or your campaign, there's always a little bit of drama. It's it's never just like, Okay, well I did that thing, it happened. It's always, you know, there might not be actual dice being rolled, but it's like there's always that moment of like, what's gonna happen? Did it work out? Oh, okay, great, finally. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, it gets to that, and I'm sure this is something you guys have talked about, this idea of having fewer decisions that are more interesting rather than more decisions that are more granular and and less interesting. And and Space tyrants, like a textbook example. You don't make that many decisions, but the ones you do make, because you don't make that many, are dramatic, and they're important, and they matter. Every decision is something important. Every action you take is going to have an important effect. You're never just adding – Okay, here's one more colonist on this planet, and in 10 turns, you know, it'll pay off and give me food. Uh, it just seems like everything has some sort of immediate feedback or effect. Yes,
1: absolutely. absolutely.
0: Um, so here is where I can completely see the way that you guys could have gone differently. Uh, you have, and I, I, I can imagine some people might say it's kind of the heart of the game, but you have full-blown tactical combat. Each ship can have special abilities. The leader yeah. has a special ability. The ships are upgradable. Uh, there's even – and I, I have some questions about this later. There's something going on with – or maybe there isn't – with positioning. Uh, I know, for instance, the bugs have abilities that will reinforce the front line. So in that regard, there's mm-hmm. a positioning. So there, there's – this is full-blown tactical combat, and it's over in a matter of seconds. Right. How on earth – what magic dust made that happen? <laughs>
1: It, it's actually—it it's, wasn't magic dust. It was—it was blood, lots and lots of blood. <laughs> Wait a minute! You sacrificed people <laughs> and arguments that we had of like, oh no, it's not fun enough, and it's, ah. it's not getting bored. And try uh-huh. it again. Do it a different way. It's no good. <laughs> um, yeah, it—it really—it was in the same way as the as the ground combat. There was an extraordinary amount of iteration uh, over the the mechanics of combat. Um, We settled relatively quickly on making it, you know, we started out, it was turn-based and sequential and all that stuff. We ended up making it real-time because we felt that was more engaging and fun. And then over a period of time, then it was, um, you know, then we said, okay, it's not enough to just, you don't want to sit and watch your ships. You don't want to be a spectator. you got to be doing something. But then weighing off the, what are you doing, versus like, okay, we got to keep it stripped down so you can have an entire combat inside of one minute. Mm-hmm. You know that that the the play between those two um, ends of the spectrum, I guess, is what uh, what guided us. You know, we were trying to deliver again that it's that thing of delivering like concrete, uh, simple actions that have really nice chunky effects that you as a player can appreciate in a short period of time. And uh, I, I would say that the progression that we worked on from that was that we. Let's see. What did we do? We started it off, and it was kind of like, uh, kind of like World of Warcraft RPG, where you had like a uh, a bar with all your powers. You know, mm-hmm. your commander had a bunch of powers, and ships had powers, and you could just fire them off, and they would, and they would refresh. And, and then eventually, we were like, oh, you know, it, it became complicated that people were paying too much attention to the buttons and not to the battle. Mm-hmm. So then we were saying, okay, well, let's let's take the button bar away from the bottom and put. Each power will be on each ship, so the person is actually interacting with their ships while they're playing. And then eventually, from that, then the we found out that the um, putting everything on timers on refreshes mm-hmm. was, you know, it's fine and people understand refreshes, but uh, it doesn't make for any drama. Right when you when you click a power and you know you're going to get it back in you know say I don't know five ten twenty seconds
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's almost disposable in a way you just say you click it and you go okay well I did it in a, and I'll come back in a, in a bit and that was one of the the probably one of the sea changes of uh, combat was saying okay you know what there will be charges and there will be timers on these things but there's going to be limited uses on every ship. Because then suddenly it goes from, well, I'm just going to click this power because I have it. You think, you got to think to yourself, okay, is this the right time? Is this the right ship? Is this the right power? Is it going to get me the exact thing that I want? And that was really, that really is what sewed up combat. It's that we, we were moving around, trying to consider all these different things. And then when we, when we locked in on that, on sort of like enforcing the scarcity of the powers, that's when it really jumped out and combat suddenly became like really fun. And we knew that that was the the element that uh, tied it together.
0: It it also, the fact that each ship only gets its power once with of course the exception of inspiration, I guess randomly rolling up, but uh, because each ship gets its power only once, uh, all the ships are useful. Like a lowly frigate's volley I will use as well as uh, that that huge beam from a dreadnought because Mm -hmm. the dreadnought fires its beam and it's done. Uh, so now what else can i do with my energy oh this frigate hasn't fired a volley but you know if i want the frigates to fire their volleys they're going to die first maybe i should do that first rather than wait for the dreadnought to charge up um so i yeah the the fact that everybody can only use a power once uh makes all of them useful i love that about them it's never yeah. that frigates are just things to fill in the slots there they always uh have their their powers
1: yeah absolutely
0: uh what is the um why can't i sh- pick who shoots at whom
1: you know what it's uh it makes it too easy ah believe it or not you know it's so, not a matter
0: of it would take longer it's a matter of it would make it exploitable like i i could yeah. uh it, it makes
1: it it makes it too easy and and frankly the battles become rote and boring Mm-hmm. You know, you walk into a battle, you know, OK, well, I'm going to shoot this guy and then I'm going to do and then I'm going to walk down the line until I can get that battleship. Then I'll kill the battleship and then the battle's over. And it's 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 controversial because everyone asks that. Why can't I target my ships? And the truth is, it's just it's just not as fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, that after,
1: after going back and forth on it a bunch of times, that was the the answer was that, you know, we realized that we were going to upset people by not allowing them to directly target. But the the gain of uh of like drama and interest in combat was far worth uh what we lost.
0: <clears throat> uh have you seen Behemoth's recent release Pit People? I haven't, no. Because they do they do the same thing and I, I, I suspect part of the decision the decision is the same reasons you guys did it, is it's a little tactical ex commie type uh tactics game and mm-hmm. you can't choose who your guys attack. You just choose where they stand and then they decide Randomly, you know, which guy are they going to attack? And I wonder if it is partly because it would be then too easy to gang up on one unit and you would beat the AI that way. But there's yeah. also a little bit of thrill like, oh, God, he didn't attack the guy I wanted him to attack. Uh, yeah,
1: it's like that moment of what's going to happen. I'm not sure. Okay.
0: <laughs> and it, it also recreates this sense, too. Uh, I think a lot of people who, well, one of the the dirty little secrets about playing 4Xs is that you're not an emperor. You are a commander, and sometimes you're the captain of a ship, and you're a quartermaster. There are all these little granular duties that you have, and by me not picking who shoots whom, I, I still get this sense that I'm a, a space tyrant, an emperor, and I don't have control over what my captains are doing. I can put them in battle, and I can authorize them to use their beams and stuff, but I'm not entirely sure – who they're going to fight and whether or not they're going to leave that one dreadnought alone or just all gang up on a frigate. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that lower scale workload, I'm happy to relinquish. Yeah.
1: yeah it's uh, it's definitely something that uh, is pervasive throughout space time. It's kind of like you're exactly what you're saying. You know, in most 4X games you're, you're down in the minutia of everything. And then in space time. You're definitely operating at a much higher level. Uh, in fact, that was one of the, um, the driving mechanics for adding cards to the game because we didn't have cards. Cards were not, uh, cards got added about halfway through rather oh. than, than being, um, you know, core to the design from the very beginning.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: was, uh, you know, because we, we started off from a point of, of great complexity and then we ended up at a point of simplicity. And it was about halfway through when we realized, you know, we can't, we can't keep all these levers of, you know, population and planet upgrades and all that kind of stuff. You know we need we need one thing that at a stroke can take all of that stuff and then and we can put it into a, a an easy to deliver mechanism and that's what cards ended up being basically it's like you know if you play a game of uh civilization or Solaris or whatever, there's so many things you can do, all these economic levers and you know governors and little little bits you can flip on every planet or every fleet or everything like that and we basically took all those. Uh, you know, crystallized all the interesting things that you might do down into particular cards and then assign them to the various nations to kind of build up their own theme.
0: Right. Now, here, here's a question I have for you, Dave, that uh, I, uh, I kind of I, I'm torn between liking this decision and being frustrated at it. Uh, now that I've played the bugs, I can see a lot more uh, how the cards are Deemed by the different factions, the different nations, as, as you call them. And the bugs have all these really cool economic cards. Right. I, I'm rolling in cash playing the bugs, and it reinforces this idea that they're constantly spitting out ships and replacing them, and that they're innumerable swarms. Um, while I was playing the the rabbits, I had no idea that that was going to be a facet of the cards. Why do you make me play the rabbits before I can play the bugs, and the bugs before I can play the techno slugs? Why the... Sort of rigid structure of unlock rather than, hey, here's a game, choose one of the nations that you want to get good at and play that nation, and then when you're ready, play the other ones. Why did you do it the way it is now?
1: Uh, basically because it was uh, we sort of were leaning that direction anyway in terms of unlocking like you you play and then you unlock uh, like more powers for the particular nation you're in, and then it just to us seemed a very natural extension of like okay well, I'm playing these campaigns and I'm earning more unlocks and power so why not just have it be at the end of a campaign then you unlock you know the next nation
0: it does feel like there should be some nice treat for actually winning a campaign right uh, yeah yeah uh are, is there any uh was there was there any reason that they go from rabbits to bugs to techno slugs like is um, there this idea of increasing complexity or it's just yes. kind
1: of arbitrary yes no it's definitely increasing complexity um we, uh-huh. We start people on the hoplites, the bunnies, because they they play the easiest, you know, like they uh, there are certain things that they're very, very weak at, like they're they're economic missions. And if you end up in an economic mission with a bad setup or bad quirks or something, it can be Ugh. impossible.
0: Oh, tell me about it. I cannot. Yeah. I, boy, I've learned that the hard way. Yeah. Uh, yeah trying to make 1400 credits with just a bunch of poor cities around the map is excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. So it's. They, they perform poorly in those missions, but they perform very well in uh, a lot of the other missions. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: so. The thought was it's kind of like it's kind of like a fighter, right? You know, if you're, if you're playing right. an RPG game, one of the easiest things to do is you generally play the fighter because they're very basic, reliable. Right. Uh, you know what you're going to get. And that's that's pretty much our, our thought process of making the, the Hoplites, the First Nation.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that works. Uh, now, here's another question I have. Uh, and I don't know if there's an answer to this. Uh, first of all, who's that?
1: Uh, that's the dog in the office downstairs from us. Oh, it's not your dog. No, no. There's extremely thin walls. I'm actually happy that no one is. There's a dance studio above us, and I'm just like like keeping my fingers crossed that they're not going to have like a class or something because then it would sound like a herd of rhinoceros were like running around on <laughs> top of us. Sounds like a great place to work. It's, um, it's very colorful.
0: <laughs> now, now you are in Vancouver or Seattle.
1: Uh so the so Jason it, he's Canadian and he lives in uh on Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. And uh but we the the Space Tyrant Studio is actually in Seattle. Okay. So we're kind of like a satellite studio of the Blue Wizard.
0: Right. Uh now um why uh rabbits and slugs and not for instance, you know, hens and and otters? Uh what makes a rabbit and a slug funny, or a choice for a race? What, what, what? What's the thinking behind you guys' weird sense of humor with
1: animals? Um, I, I mean, we're really just weird, is what it boils down to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those, those guys, uh, all the portraits and the art and stuff, that all came from uh, Matt Holberg, who uh, is our artist, our TV artist. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that one day Jason just said, you know, make a bunch of alien pictures and We'll just pick and choose from, you know, whatever we think looks coolest. Those will be the nations we end up using. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what we did. We went, we took the art, and then we just said, okay, well, you know, this one's kind of going to be the fighter. This one's going to be the trader. This one's going to be the scientist. And then we just built the themes up from there. And in uh, fact, like mm-hmm. the reason that we have bunnies as our fighter race was just matt's kind of weird sense of humor he was like what would it be what would it be like if there was you know these <laughs> bunnies who, who grew up on their world and they had been you know like hunted by like wolves and foxes and stuff for their whole lives and then finally they broke out and got on top and became this crazy super predator that everyone now is afraid of them instead of the other way around sure yeah so it's a lot of stuff like that just like you know we had this sort of seed image of like oh look at that yeah that's interesting and then it kind of ballooned organically into, you know, these sort of weird uh, thematic uh, nations. Uh,
0: Until Uh, I actually lost several fleets to them, Uh, I thought the idea of a space hamster was really cute and funny. (laughs) I I am no longer amused by them. They are. uh... (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Uh, Was the angle of being the bad guy always there?
1: Um, That wasn't at the very start. But when we decided to switch over to a more streamlined version, then, yeah, it was. And that's that was primarily Jason. And it's, uh, you know, he, he, I think Jason spent so long making kind of, like, family-friendly sort of uh, games at, at PopCap that he really wanted to take a direct step away from that. <laughs> like, and if, if you've seen the other game that Blue Wizard put out, Slay Away Camp. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's a very direct step away from... The work that he did previously you know he wanted stuff that was like gory bloody had a weird dark sense of humor and you know he's got the freedom uh, to do that now and he's got people like us who have also weird sense of humor <laughs> that are yeah. happy to do it
0: <laughs> with, with slay away camp and certainly with space tyrants there's this very uh, lovable cuddly evil gore dark element to it. Like, it's right. it's just so cute that you can't very well fault it for, for being grim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, does the space tyrant angle allow you any unique gameplay uh, elements? Uh, in what sense? Well, is there anything that would not work with the current design if I were just a, a non-evil uh, space leader?
1: Mm. No, I don't think so. I think it would be I mean, it, yeah. I mean, if you if you reskinned it and just put like different words on stuff, um, you know, for like different particular, and call it like instead of a press, you could call it like you know investment or something like that. Um, oh, and you know, you could reword the events to you know instead of like slaughtering the population of the entire planet, you could be giving them roses or whatever. Um, well,
0: okay, that's fair because that what I wanted to say is I always feel. When I'm playing a game and I'm given those two options to either do the good thing or the bad thing, I'm always worried I'm going to miss out if I don't do the good thing. That mm. later on, the, there's going to be a person that comes back from that quest, and they're going to say, ah, you you, you know, you kicked my puppy instead of petting it, so I'm now not giving you these <laughs> gems, these jewels. I'm going to keep them. Uh, because basically Space Pirate… <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't have this sense that you guys are going to hold me to any space karma here. Like, I don't have the sense that I, – I, I feel perfectly fine obliterating a population when I could just enslave them. Like, yeah. I, I have no compunction because of the theming about making what I think are the bad choices on uh, on a playthrough. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're right. That, that, is a, that is a semantic thing. It is a wording thing, but I think that that's something that being a space tyrant affords me, allows me. Yeah.
1: And we also, we, we, we went through a lot of effort, particularly when writing um, all the events and stuff, to always make the options very, like, very tongue-in-cheek and very glib. So that, you know, if you, if you do, you know, like, there's, there's one which, which always gets me every time where there's, like, a burning, a burning slum. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you have an option to, like, help them out or to, like, watch it. And then if you're like really really bad, you can play the violin while it's burning. <laughs> but it's just it's stuff like that, you know, where it's like you're okay. You, obviously, you understand that this is a completely horrible thing that you're doing, but you know it's delivered in such a way that it's like okay, well you, you can tell okay this is a game, it's a joke, you know don't don't worry about it. You can bomb those guys if you really want to. It's it's all good.
0: <laughs> now, now when you play long enough, you will of course start to see repeat events. But yes. you guys, uh, this idea of the little slider, which kind of feels like a die roll or a wheel spinning, uh, yes. repeat events will reveal non-repeat outcomes. Yes. Um, was that a eureka moment? Because I think that's a huge part. When I, when I conquer a planet, if I were to, to have an event come up and I knew the events the way I do now, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of them that I haven't seen before, but I am seeing results I haven't seen. Uh, And if it didn't have that system, I would sort of be groaning and rolling my eyes every time an event came up.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like in uh, like FTL, for example, they had a lot of events, but the event outcomes were all known. Right. Uh, So, yeah, this one, we we did that. Uh, It was this it was a similar kind of thing. Like we we, they had static results. And that was we realized quickly, Okay, well, this is boring. You know, like I I, I know this event comes up. I'm going to pick this option. End of story. And then we added in, okay, yeah, well, now they're they're chance-based results. So you probably get that outcome, but you might not. You might screw it up, and then you know something bad happens. Um, but the the little um, like meter thing is actually something we put in fairly late. You know, we we had the the whole system as it stood, and it was it worked fine and everything. It didn't functionally change in any way. But when we put the meter in, the meter was a real. It was carrying forward that sense of uh, that sort of like design mentality we had of like, every moment needs to have drama. And that was, that's effectively, like as you correctly assessed, that's the dice roll, uh, effectively the dice roll animation of exploration. And the crazy thing was is, you know, we threw it in at a relatively late date and all of a sudden it made, it made the events really pop. Like they, they suddenly came alive regardless of the fact that previously, you know, like mechanically nothing had changed. You still had a random chance to get A or B or C. But this one, when you actually watch your fate unfolding before you, where you say, oh, is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Oh, it's this one. Well, what was that other one? Oh, you know, and it really it really um, engages the player when they get to those floor events, uh, you know, gives them, gives them some drama, gives them something to latch onto, and also to come back to, you know, because you, you get at a certain option and it might not have been the one you wanted, but then you say, oh, wow, I could get that again. Or, or I wonder what the other one was and uh, It's especially
0: intriguing. Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, it it just, it really, that really got people engaged with uh, the exploration.
0: And it's especially intriguing when I notice on that bar of different outcomes that one of them is particularly small. And I'm thinking, okay, that's got to be either really awesome or really bad. (laughs) I want to find out. Uh, Like, for instance, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like you really want to know. Like, once it's out there, once you know that it's there, it's like you're. It's like you know you're a cat. You got to poke your nose into right. every little spot that you can see. And it's not a
0: matter because I was thinking about. I, it's not a matter of the things on the left are always good and the things on the right are always bad, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Like there's no oh.
0: there's no conceit like that. Yeah, because you guys are keeping me guessing every time.
1: Yeah, it's all okay.
0: random. Yeah, um, I am surprised that you guys got a good name. For your game, space games. uh, I didn't think it was possible that a space game would come out and I would feel like, yeah, this is the best available name for this game because all the names are taken. You know, I'm surprised you guys didn't have to go with something like uh, sidereal authoritarianism. You know, (laughs) Space Tyrant was available. How hard was that to find and how delighted were you that nobody had taken that?
1: Uh, you know, it wasn't too hard to find, but it's funny we actually we, we, we encountered exactly what you're talking about, where we went back and forth on names so many times, like so so many times. Uh, but the original name for this game was actually like after we decided we weren't going to do a Mass Effect two thing, the the working title that we had was Diary of a Space Tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That I'm, I'm thinking, Dave, does that make me think it's going to be more like an adventure game? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I would see that name and I wouldn't necessarily think it's a strategy game, but I see Space Tyrant and I'm like, oh yeah, that's of course a strategy game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: it's it's very much like, it encompassed very much the tongue-in-cheek nature of the game, you know, because you're like, oh, it's a Space Tyrant, but wait, what, it's a diary? Like, what? what? Right, right. <laughs> um, but we, we eventually dropped the diary because it was If you say it really quickly, write Diary of a Space Tyrant, it, it sounds. It has a little bit of sound of kind of like, wait, did you just say diarrhea? Of a space yeah, star? yeah, exactly. The
0: space tyrant's <laughs> intestinal issues. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that is not what the future is about. <laughs> <The> future <laughs> is about bombing alien planets and blowing up spaceships, <laughs> not intestinal distress. Right. Uh, uh, one, even, even after we we dropped that part of it, we went with space tyrant. We went back and forth along, on a lot of stuff and. Uh really it's just, you know, it, it concisely captures, you know, what what we want to get across. You know, you're a space tyrant. You're this big, you know, behind the scenes, uh, you know, quasi evil, quasi-immortal uh being. And uh yeah, that's I mean that, that name just spoke to it. It stuck.
0: Uh one of the reasons that I find myself playing for so long is you guys do this really insidious um it's almost like Russian nesting dolls of layers of gameplay within layers of gameplay. And at the very bottom, the little tiniest Russian nesting doll is the tactical combat. And then the slightly larger Russian nesting doll is the little galaxy map that you fight on. But then the bigger Russian doll is the campaign where the Senate is spitting out missions and you got to stop it from finishing a mission for one of the races. But even bigger than that, the nesting doll, is all of the unlockables for the different leaders and the factions and the different new cards and the tactics uh, and, of course, the unlockable uh, races. Uh, That that sort of Russian nesting doll structure, and you guys probably maybe had a different term for it as you were developing this, uh, I just find that hugely uh addicting and it moves forward like sort of having almost like the movie inception where you're going down layers and then you're coming <laughs> up layers and then you go down a layer and then you go down a layer further and then you come up two layers and uh just that 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 sort of gameplay structures within gameplay structures uh just feels really elegant and and compelling it really keeps me coming back to the game more and more uh was that uh, an important element
1: Oh um, yeah, and it was it, like everything else, something that we went back and forth a lot, it's been, particularly the star map the so the um, when you 're in mission and you 're looking at the planets that was like that was pretty good like that that and the uh, space combat those things came together and clicked pretty well, but it was getting the three of them to work together with the star map, which is where the where you do actually your mission select- selection that was the really complicated part because we wanted to. Because that that deter- that's like your your overall win and loss, um, determiner, right? When and when
0: you're, at- you're saying star map, do you mean uh, the the port where the, the part where the senate sends out uh, missions to the three races? Yeah. Or Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right,
1: mm-hmm. right. Yeah. That's the star map. Um. So we we had a lot of work to do there, where um. You know, like losses of, of how to basically like what happens when you win or lose a, a mission, mm-hmm. right? Like how does that affect your overall um, your overall progress and your overall chances of winning or losing. And that was the thing that we really went back and forth on a lot. And that, because we originally started out and it was going to be a map, like an actual map oh. where you, you know, you move from point A, and then there would be like, you know, your, your selection of missions would actually be physical places and you'd move from A to B and you were trying to get to like the far side of the galaxy where there would be some, you know, what we, what the war mission was, you know, you would beat the astronauts at their capital or something like that.
0: Like FTL, where you're moving across yes. different points. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. So, like a very simplified graph based map. And, you know, we we, we we played around with that a bunch and it just wasn't that interesting. You know, like, because you're like, oh, well, I'm in a map and then I'm in a map of a mission. And we decided really to just scrap the whole map nature of it and just make it kind of a repository for, um, semi-random missions that the, um, you know, the Senate is putting forward.
0: It it reminds me a little of uh, the basic dynamics of a game like Pandemic, where there are bad things coming out on the board, and you only have so many actions to stop the bad things as they come out. The mm-hmm. bad things being the Senate is filling in those little boxes for each of the races, and then your action is do a mission to empty the box. When you fail the missions, they come out faster. There's this sense of kind of holding back a tide with your actions. Yeah. Uh,
1: and yeah. I do like
0: – I would have been – if it had been just a map within a map, uh, that would have, I think, made it – feel a little like redundant like well i'm already yeah, playing on except, a map down
1: here absolutely yeah. you hit the nail on the head that was the, that was the criticism that kept coming bubbling up when we had the map it's like why why is this here and i've already i've already got a map why do i need a second map and uh uh and and yeah the uh, with the the senate control thing filling up um the inspiration for that came from uh XCOM, the more recent XComs. oh sure yeah because they have their um what is it it's like threat level there or what do yeah. they call it
0: well, there, there there's also the uh, the the aliens are doing like missions as well, in, in mm-hmm. XCOM, and, and you've got things that they're they're spitting out. And you have so many uh, missions to try to drive them back from doing it. Right. Um, yeah, I, I totally yeah. know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it's a very, very similar thing. It's like we wanted that. We just needed a a simple way to deliver um, pressure to the player. Like you know, you don't stop, don't fail, because if you do, the guys are going to catch up to you, and you might not be able to overtake them again right Right. and then uh yeah and then xcom was just provided a very very concrete example of way to, of how to do that i'm like yeah okay just you know just keep taking up the pressure one more time and you can push them back but you can't push them back forever
0: now i have some very specific uh, questions here that uh might seem like super trivial but they're the kinds of things that i wonder about when i for the for the most part i am delighted with how well uh i, I would call it documented This game is in that I see gameplay systems. There's a tooltip or something that explains it. Uh, You guys have a very quick, very brief overview to teach the player how to play when they first boot up the game. But Mm -hmm. then you make all this information available as they're playing. So for the the most part, I'm 99% happy with all the information in there. But I have a question about the other 1%. Yeah, what's the 1%?
1: I'm curious now.
0: All right. What is my deck composition for cards, like for instance, when I draw a card that i 've unlocked at the beginning of a mission, I can either put it in my hand or put it back in the deck right. What is in that deck how are there multiple copies of i mean there how many copies of cards are there uh, well, yeah, there 's an invisible question. deck that if I was playing a tabletop game, I would want to know more about how big that deck is, is and what 's in it what 's yeah. in that deck
1: yeah it's it 's a really great question because it's not it doesn 't operate on any known existing rules that i've seen in any other deck-based game um what the way that it works is it's not it's not a physical deck of cards right there aren't like two copies of you know tachyon torpedoes in your hoplite deck Mm -hmm. all there is is there's a um uh there's basically a, a list of cards with their costs and then that's the that that forms up the basis of the deck and there's probably about uh, gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think there's something like 25 or 30 cards in a in a base deck. And then I think there's probably some like 15 or 20 unlocks. And the unlocks can be of two types. They're either of a type, like a if they're a tiered version of a card, they'll replace the old version. Mm-hmm. And if they're their own unique card, then they just get added to the deck. Um, so uh, like if you were to have a completely unlocked deck, it might be something like, 45 cards, or 45 card definitions. So that's what, that's like, that's what determines the uh, cards that you have available, right? It'll be your base deck plus your unlocks. Right. And then they'll all be organized based on the amount of uh, crystal that it takes to cast them. And then the way that they get dealt, which is the really interesting part, right? In, in a normal deck, you would have uh, you know, like more copies of lower-level cards and then you know, fewer high-level ones. But in Space Triad, what it actually does is it sort of like semi-intelligently deals you cards that are at your crystal level. Okay. So if you have two crystals, for example, the game is going to be more inclined to deal you a two-crystal card than it is to give you a one or a three. And, um, it's, and
0: it's it sounds also like this isn't so much a deck as a list of possible draws.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we call it a deck basically just as a convenience so that people can understand like, oh, there's a pool of cards somewhere and I'm getting them from the Right, deck. right. Um, yeah, so primarily that's that's what it is. The, the difference between space tyrants decks and dealing is, is pretty much that it tries to give you um, higher as high cost card as it thinks you're able to play. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but it but it does cause some problems. I mean, one of the uh, one of the mission goals is uh, like the one of the crystal mission goals is like play five cards in one turn.
0: Right. I need that one. I need a bunch of ones before I exactly can do
1: that. that. Yeah. If you if you have like five or six or seven crystal, the game is going to want to give you the power. Oh. It thinks, it's like, oh, you've got all these cards. So I'm going to give you this really cool mind control card and whatever. And you're cursing at it. On the other hand, like, God, just give me the freaking one cost, you know, plus 10 gold card. What the heck is wrong with you?
0: I have lost missions because of that. Yeah, I definitely. I'm just like, just give me an Orbital Bombardment or something that only costs one, and I'm getting – I didn't – okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the only thing. Most of the time, it's always playing to your favor, right. but in that one situation, it doesn't. And it, but the the thing is, there we it's it's actually okay because there's there's other ways to game the system to get those one card, cost cards, and if we if we gave away too many one cost cards, that goal would just be a joke.
0: Sure, right. And I've definitely been in situations where I've got you know twelve crystals to spend, and so it would be trivially easy whatever five cards I have. Mm-hmm. It's just there were times I was like, okay, I will win the game this turn if I draw a one crystal card, uh, and then I did. You know. <laughs>
1: Um, did you make this, sure to? Uh, did you make sure to oppress when you were in those situations?
0: Oppressing like at a at a crystal world to draw a card, yeah. you mean? Mm-hmm. I yeah. think probably that was what I was doing. Yeah. Okay.
1: okay. Uh, yeah.
0: I, I love the dynamics of uh, oppression. By the way, like that five percent chance. Yeah, I'll always do that. Once it's twenty five percent, I'm like, well, do I really need this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I just I love that, and you know, Dave, that might also not. Yeah, you just have to call it something else. I was going to say that also might not work without the evil theme. There's this idea of of pushing your tyranny. You know, how far do you want to push it before the people rebel? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like it's like in, in Civilization, there was a tech called uh, I think when you get bronze tech, you can uh, you get slavery, quote unquote, which is just a way of of dissolving a population point to get production out of it. Oh, I see. Uh, and I, I would never, like, I, I feel like that's playing the evil faction. I would never use the little slavery tech in civilization, no matter how effective it is. But I have no problem in space tyrant using this little op- oppression risk-reward calculation. That, that also feels like something uniquely tyrannical.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. You're right. And I, and I had been thinking previously about, you know, you could call oppress something else. But you're right, the, the rebellion aspect of it wouldn't translate at all. Right, right. It definitely, it, yeah, it relies on the, on the evilness.
0: And, and that's also uh, just the variety of planets. I mean, there aren't, I wouldn't know how many, but but I love how each planet uh, has different kinds of things and different kinds of improvements. Uh, that, that's kind of an issue in a lot of 4X games is they want you to care about the difference between like a desert world and an arid world and a step world. <laughs> and, uh, and generally it comes down to, okay, am I going to get plus one gold or plus two gold from this? Uh, I just love how important different worlds are for different kinds of things in space tyrant. Uh, mm,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we were extremely serious about about each world being unique. Like we started out and it was like, Oh, you know, well, it kind of kind of like that, you know, well, an arid world would be good for science, but bad for you know, production or something like that. And then we said, you know what? Screw it. You know, we're going to make one. Ro- each world is going to do one thing. And right. It's going to do it really well. And it's going to be extremely understandable, even to the point where you, you probably didn't notice this, but you probably picked up on it subconsciously that every um, planet type each has a, like a unique visual signature where like re- like research planets are triangular and uh, oh
0: sure no yeah
2: yeah
1: yeah, yeah the like barracks are square
0: uh, and uh, which is the die roll um,
2: yeah and it's yeah. it's
1: just like that we we drove the uniqueness all the way down to even the the silhouette of the planet so that okay. like even if it was just black on white you'd be able to say okay that one does research that one does you know um uh you know barracks or that one right is right sure yeah yeah that one yeah um what uh, is? I'm glad too that you like oppression uh, because <laughs> oppression was a was a another one of those late ads that kind of was. We we're like, well, is this, is this good? Is this not good? And um, oh, yeah. because prior to that, we we didn't have we. The only way you could interact with planets was with powers. Like you would explore them, and if a planet got a power, then it would have a button that you could use.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Over time, we said, you know what? It, I kind of feel like I I just want a way to. You know, in civil the the analogy of civilization would be, you know, I want a way to you know add banks to this planet or a, or a workshop or something like I want to do a slight improvement to this planet. And then we had the, the thought of well, okay, we're well, a tyrant and we want to make it super simple. So how do you quote unquote improve a planet? And then it's like, oh yeah, you like deploy your secret police and like you know have <laughs> everyone get me like locked in the factories for another month.
0: Now that actually leads to another question because sometimes you know with the secret police card you can do it, but then sometimes it's a I guess a random event where you can improve a planet. Would I ever? Am I am I losing anything? Is there any reason? Because you give me the option to not improve it. Is there any reason to not
1: improve a planet? Um, Yeah. So the the tyranny gains that you get from uh, different things change. So like uh, the gain of tyranny you get from oppressing a planet is five. And the, gain, the tyranny gain you get from capturing, capturing a planet, a new planet, is 10. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, you want to capture as much as you can. And oppression is like, you generally want to leave oppression for either if you're in an oppression-based mission, like the, an economic monopolized missions, right? Or if you have a specific goal that you need to get, like, you know, maybe you're short on money. Or like maybe you want to get to the crystal goal or something like that. So it's it very much was kind of like a uh, it, it allows you to improve planets and we wanted players to do that, but we didn't want to distract them from basically being a tyrant, like getting out there and conquering planets and just being generally you know evil.
0: I am I'm <laughs> just now realizing I played this game so much yeah you you when you improve a planet, you can no longer oppress it right that that makes yes. perfect sense now it didn't even occur to me as I was asking that that you're yeah. giving up the option to oppress it for something else right okay, that makes perfect sense right right uh, and I also love by the way it's not just that different planets do different things you guys have all of these little modifiers you know a planet can be rich or decaying or industrial or mm-hmm. it can be you know it can be doomed uh, so planets basically do things, but then they're also distinguished by little details that I can ignore if I want to. Uh, but I love looking at those little drop-down lists uh, <laughs> of this is why it's plus five and plus ten and this minus ten. Uh, I just love that kind of unique character and flavor that has gameplay implications for each planet. Those are a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: they're they're super fun. I, I enjoy those as well. And it's, it's really interesting in that the you know, there, there are some players who are not interested in that information. Like you and I sound more like we both like to get down into the details and, and see the, you know, the flavor. Of why is it like that? What does it do? But there's other folks out there who just want to just, you know, say, oh, well, it, it makes me 20 gold. OK, yeah, well, I'm right. going to take over that planet. And they don't even they don't even have to look, you know, all they need to do. They can just look at the, you know, the um, resource output of the planet. And that's the end for them. Right. And, uh yeah, it's just the, it, 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 like the way the UI is set up, it just enables people to kind of play it at whatever level they want to play. If you want to give, go in and get the super de- details, awesome. Yeah. And if you don't, great. You can, do, you can do that too. Just look at the big numbers that are right in your face and keep playing.
0: Uh, what does playing on hard mode do? When I finish oh, a campaign, I can enable so why would I, is there any uh, incentive for that? Do I get additional rewards? Because I don't no. think there are STEAM achievements, are there? No,
1: it's only punishment. All right. <laughs> I, and, and is uh, it, I, I do think that there's a STEAM achievement for hard mode. If there isn't, I should definitely add one. That's, okay,
0: I might have missed like, it. Wow. I just sort of scanned briefly. But what, uh, yeah. what, how, how do you make, is the Senate just much more pushy, or how did you um, make it harder?
1: Yeah, so the hard mode was basically like when we were doing early access, we, we found a real dichotomy of our players for people who they would play the standard campaigns and they would just breeze through them. Um, and we were, it would just blow us away because space time is not an easy game. Even in, Even in the standard modes, you can expect to lose like, you know, at least two campaigns before you win your first campaign mm-hmm. at all. And folks were just, you know, some folks were coming in. It's literally the first time they've seen the game, they would win on their first try. Um, so it was clear to us that we needed to have, like, a second level to keep, uh, like, some, like, maybe, say, half the players engaged. Uh, and the way that, the particular ways that it's different is the the, the most obvious thing is that the uh, mission difficulty stars are plus one. So... Okay. You, in a normal campaign, you start at a, at a one-star and you go to a four-star. And in the, the hard mode, you start at two-stars and you go to a five-star. And it doesn't sound like it's that big of a change, but you can feel it. Like going into, you know, two- and three- and four-star missions without a lot of perks because you're going to get them much earlier is very, very challenging. Um, but then beyond that, then there's um, other stuff. Like the AI is just uh, – it plays better and it's more aggressive. Like, it it sieges faster, it it picks better technologies, it buys better ships. Um, And I think what else is there? Oh, then there's uh, uh, astronaut spies, which are, if you... You know how you can see all the ships orbiting planets? Right. Uh, So an astronaut spy would be, you would look and you would see a fleet with, like, you know, two hoplite cruisers and a destroyer and a frigate. And then you would go and attack them. And then right when combat begins, there would be, like, a little reveal animation. And it, it would say you know, Astron Spy, you know, one of the hot light cruisers is actually an Astron cruiser, which is oh. a real kick in the guts. You know, it can it can really get you because a lot of time those early battles can be very, yeah. very fragile.
0: Dave, I kind of want that in the basic mode now. Maybe I don't want it. Maybe <laughs> I'm just thinking that I want it. I love that idea, though. Uh,
1: well, uh, so then there's also, uh, uh, there's is it one more thing. You know, there's two more things. So then there's also a set of events, which are, particularly dangerous like uh, i'm sure you've seen at this point the demigod event oh yeah yeah where he like he can kill all your ships or he can give you a ton of tyranny
0: uh-huh
1: so there's uh i think like six or seven other events like that which are unique to hard mode so uh-huh. they're like, they're very very dangerous and they're also very very powerful like if you if you take a chance and you luck out with one of these events it can it can be a game winner like i Even the demigod event, I've had times when my tyranny was running out. I'm basically certain I was going to lose. There's no coming back. And then I ran into the demigod, and I was like, oh, should I risk this fleet? Well, who cares? I'm going to die anyway. Right. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, you did good. I like you. Here's 30 tyranny. And then, oh, (laughs) back on top.
0: I Uh, I really think it takes a certain amount of courage, Dave, to make a game that is so potentially uh, what you might call swingy. Yes. Uh, and, and, yeah, I, I do like that a lot about Space Tyrant. Uh, what's the what's the other thing that hard mode does?
1: Uh, and then the last thing about hard mode is that disasters can happen at any time, and they're much more frequent. So it's like, you should effectively count on getting a disaster at some point in any mission rather than uh, in the standard campaign. I think it's only um, maybe three stars and four stars that you can des- get disasters.
0: Ah, I assumed disasters were like a game clock, like if I took too long. But it's a, it's a matter of something like a... So it's a random chance that it'll happen based on the difficulty of the mission.
1: Uh, in in hard mode, it's it's almost pure random, and okay. in in standard mode, it is more like a game clock. Like if you're if you're doing poorly, then the disasters will happen. Uh, they only happen in the in the harder missions, and if you're doing poorly, like you've you've had some losses or you're you're just winning by a hair's breadth, then it'll it'll push the disasters further into the mission. Mm-hmm. and if you 're at yeah, and conversely if you 're playing well it 'll actually push the disasters earlier to give you more of a challenge okay um, sure and yeah, and, and they are partially a clock, um, but they weren 't specifically designed for that they were they were designed for um, to compensate for the fact that space tyrant is a very much favors being an aggressive player yeah. so if you 're being an aggressive player you 're getting out there and taking colonies. Pretty much, like if you're if you really stay at it and you're having success, you're gonna win. And you get to a point where you can kind of tell you're like, well, you know, five terms from now there might be some setbacks, but I'm gonna win. And disasters were uh, basically our our feature that hedges against that, where you know you're you're at a point of sort of like incipient incipient conquest of that sector. And then now we're saying, okay, well, hold on, a sec, you know, it's not quite over yet. You know,
0: you've got one more curve to deal with here. Yeah, it's sort of what might otherwise just be a mop-up stage uh, mm-hmm. can still have a little bit of drama in it, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I've just got a couple more of these. Um, and by the way, one of the things that I, I, I think is just a huge difference from other 4X games, and it makes a, a big deal in terms of how this plays, the fact that I can replenish my fleet from any friendly... Planet, like if I had to, if I had star bases that built ships, which a lot of these games do, because that makes sense, and because you tend to wage a war from a from a a particular base of of operations, uh, that would slow this down so much. But that 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 leads to getting aggression because I want to capture this planet because then I can refill my ships there if it takes me Mm -hmm. another turn. So I, I love the idea that you're not doing like ship factories or bases or, or stuff like that yeah
1: yeah yeah we we actually we had them like so i many, can imagine sure yeah we had them you know we're coming from a mutu kind of concept we had this time and they even like rotated around planets kind of like the ships do now and uh yeah it, it was uh, you know one of those things where it's just like you know is is this fun like yeah i understand why we're doing this but is it fun and they and then shortly it was revealed no it's not you know right, like right. i just want to buy ships and go kick ass and that's what Space SpaceTar lets you do.
0: There's also that kind of a, a positive feedback loop with uh, the, the death ray. Like the more aggressive I am, then I have this great tool to thin out fleets ahead of me.
1: Yeah, in terms of like tyranny, because tyranny is kind of the measure of how well you're doing in a particular mission. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much like, um, yeah, it, 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 it in, in both directions – it, it sort of, like, uh, takes action. Like, if your tyranny gets really low, then your planets are going to start rebelling, and then you're going to start doing even worse, and then you're going to die. Oh, is that oh, what really? makes
0: rebels happen? Is, that, is uh, low tier-
1: it low tyranny? It, it influences the chance, right? So if okay. your tyranny is real, real low, then, you know, people are like, wow, this guy's weak. You know, it's time, the time to rebel is now because he can't stop us. Right, and,
0: okay, and that makes sense. And, conversely,
1: if you're kicking butt and, you know, you're blowing up all the ships, then you have the death ray, and then you can, like
0: sort of start doubling down and i do i, lo- I love too how that's just a, a gameplay system that feeds into so many other elements of the game like you know what, like that whole idea do i oppress a planet or do i improve it uh mm-hmm. this idea like okay i need to conquer this one planet so that that'll make me enable my death ray so that i can then thin out this fleet before i attack it like i love mm-hmm. that tyranny mechanic and and I love, too, the theming with the different cards, like seducing a senator reduces <laughs> unrest. A, like yes. That, that stuff is a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, what is the deal with the the different rows in combat? Now, I, having having unlocked the bugs, I know that the hex shot on, I think, their cruisers can attack things in the back row. They have cards that, that give uh, buffs to the front row. But when I was playing as the Rabbits, uh, I, I had this idea that the ships in front the ships in back would never take damage until the ships in front were killed, but that didn't seem to be the case. Um, explain to me why I want some things in the front row, why I want some things in the back row, and are there are certain weapons that bypass the front row. I'm a little
1: confused about how I should set up my fleets. Yeah, it's, uh, it's primarily what you would think. Like the, the first row does absorb the majority of the damage. Okay. Um, and uh, you, if you have ships that are more fragile, you, you pretty much want to keep them on the sides or the back just because, like, statistically, those are less likely to get shot at earlier in a battle. Um, but that said, um, there are a lot of exceptions that get made to the rule. You know, like, you can have situations, like, if you think you're confident about winning a battle, then you actually want to reverse the pattern of your ships because if you could put a bigger ship out in front that has hit points that you're pretty sure will survive, and then you can put a smaller ship in the rear and it'll it will survive the battle, whereas otherwise it might die and then you still win the battle. Right. Uh, and that's that's particularly important for um the techno slugs, which I'm not they're the um the last nation that you unlock. And they ah. are very much all about uh like shields, like really expensive ships and shields. So for them to lose a ship is a is a really big deal. Okay. It's just you don't like, even losing one ship as the, as the Technoslugs is a real, like, eye-watering moment where you're just like, oh, boy, what am I going to do now?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm really jealous of their shields. Like, when I, when I play, oh, yeah. I'm like, I, can't, I'm, I want those. When can I be? I'm so jealous of shields. They seem awesome.
1: Uh, <laughs> they, they really are, too. And the thing is, they can move. Uh, they can also move twice in a turn. And wait, shields, what? Yeah, they can move. They can double move. That's their big thing.
0: That is the worst theming for a slug race that I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Six. Slugs. Slugs that go fast. All right. I mean, now I want to play them even more. They get shields and two moves. Because that's, that's – uh, those uh, those cards, they, I don't even know what they're called because I see them so rarely. There's a refuel <laughs> card that yeah. lets you move a second time. And there's an event with these little sentient creatures. And I've sort mm-hmm. of learned that if I refine them for fuel, one of the options is move again. Uh, right second move is a huge deal
1: yes. uh, for me at this point. It's massive. It's wow. Massive. All right. I mean, each, each of the nations is very unique. They all have their, their particular way of playing. I mean, you know, you play the hoplites, you basically just punch your way through anything. You know, you play the bees, you count, you count on money and numbers and being able to overwhelm. And then with the, the techno slugs, it's very much about like, you know, having the right technology, having really powerful ships that can survive, like, multiple battles in a row, because you can conceivably fight twice in one turn.
0: Yeah, uh, wow, yeah. Oh, and the shield's regenerating that turn, because that's, right, because I've been in many times where I could push a battle, but my ships are wounded, and I need to wait, and then shield's recharging between battles, yeah.
1: And one of the things is that, uh, (laughs) hilariously, because the, uh, the techno slugs are all about, like, they're all about, like, you know, basically doing space drugs, And uh, one of the things that happens is if you move them twice, they get a hangover.
0: (laughs) So, can can they not move twice the next round? Or Uh,
1: so what it is? It's it's actually like a combat penalty. So the ships will be like they'll weaker, won't hit as much. They'll be weaker. So you really need to think about it. You know, if you're if you're doing your second battle in turn, you really need to like think carefully. But I mean, even that aside, it's like if you don't get into combat. Being able to move two jumps in one turn is yeah. extraordinarily powerful. Yeah. You know, all those, all those times when you said, oh, well, these, this, that Rebels, he's out of range. I'll never be able to stop him. You know, the, the, the calculation is completely different when you get to the techno slugs. You can more often than not reach anything you want. It's just a matter of, like, you need to really think carefully, like, can I do it with the ships I have? Can I call in other ships? You know, can kind I of rearrange my fleets to make a better fleet to be, beat this guy? It's very it's very interesting.
0: Well, that 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 gets again, Dave, to uh this idea that you have to play the rabbits and then the bugs and then the techno slugs. It sounds like, and I, I could have inferred this, but there's a lot of really cool design going on in the different factions mm. that a player isn't going to see for, for for many, many hours. I mean, I fight against the techno slugs and ICO. These guys get shields, I don't that's kind of oh. rude but but uh, like there's some really cool design, and I guess in a way, I love that this is something waiting for me, like this is a little present or something I can unlock, but in another way, I feel like you've done this really cool design stuff that somebody's not going to appreciate if they don't beat the the first faction with the with the hoplites
1: yeah, um, that's true it's a good point
0: like you're playing your cards kind of close to the vest in a way, and I guess. You know, I respect that as someone who wants meaningful unlocks, but I just wonder, are there people who play the rabbits and they're like, yeah, it's always going to be this way?
1: Mm. Um, yeah, so. it's true. It's true. I mean, honestly, like we, w- we wouldn't really hurt any of the mechanical components of the game to just reveal all the, all the nations from day one. Uh, and in fact, there was actually in like right before we went from EA into uh, live,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: there was actually a bug where people who had just bought the early access version, were they would go into their first mission and, and actually after the tutorial, every nation would be unlocked. And they thought that was how it was. <laughs> Right. Um, but yeah, like it, it, you're right. We, we are hiding content. And uh, yeah, there's, there's not a particular reason why we couldn't.
0: Well, here's an option. Uh, for $4.99, allow players to buy uh, the unlock for each race.
1: Yeah. (laughs) you buy like the deluxe version of the game and it has all of them unlocked already
0: yeah best value is uh you know 1899 unlock both of the additional races sure
1: yeah (laughs) if you guys were electronic arts that's what you'd
0: be doing uh all right here's another uh, little tiny finicky question sometimes and i don't know I, i seem to think this is only on the Conquest missions with the, the control cores uh, i 'll see a little triangular icon over a fleet with an exclamation point
1: what is yeah. what is that uh, this, that means that the, the fleet is aggravated and going to move you primarily oh. see that you see that with um, space monsters because space monsters will usually be very static and they just hang out around their planet. but when you spend a turn next to them, then they get that aggravated icon oh and it, it 's the same thing with um, uh, the Senate fleets, although in in those in the in the capture and hold missions, it's less interesting because almost every fleet will move. They'll all be dynamic in that one. That's if, why I did, right right uh, yeah. But in like a a standard uh, Senate mission, then you can have there's a variety of fleets that happen. Like you could have a, a fleet which is defensive that just sits there, or it could be a militia, and militias do move, or it could be like a hunter fleet, and hunter fleets, in addition to moving, they also chase your fleets down. So there's a couple of different modes and uh yeah, you'll see so that that's what that means.
0: And is that completely consistent? Like if I'm parked next to a planet with three fleets and none of them has that exclamation point, does that mean they won't
1: move on me? Uh yes. And then if they do and you're surprised by it, then it's a book.
0: That makes a lot okay, that's gonna make my life a lot easier because there are times where I'm like I'm I don't want to go near that planet because so I'm afraid it's going to, they're going to move towards me. That that helps a lot. Okay, that is good yeah. to know. Can you
1: um, hear the swing music now?
0: Vaguely. Is that the dance studio?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the dance
2: studio. <laughs> they
0: just kicked in. <laughs> like a, yeah, that's your little soundtrack. Uh, I got a card called Allegiance where I could sacrifice 15 points of defense for a commander. Right, yeah. That's got to be a. Bug, right like how am i ever going to have 15 points of defense i can sacrifice
1: oh because the one of the hoplite is that they get a lot of cards that add defense
0: right right the secret or the is it secretly yeah yeah the plus three
1: yeah, so the gets, idea is i'm supposed to burrow sp- down a couple couple cards like that
0: okay so i'm supposed to build up that much uh defense and so because i was i was wondering how am i ever going to get 15 all right so that is working as intended
1: um yeah. And then also um, the the higher missions you get into, like higher star difficulties, the planets will have a base defense which is higher. You know, so in, in a one star mission, for example, you might see two or three defense on a planet, but that same planet in a four star mission is going to have something like you know seven to nine. Okay. So getting up to there from from say nine is not really a challenge.
0: And certainly the the war mission against the Senate, there's, there's some crazy defense numbers in there. Oh that, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, and then finally, here's my last question, and then I have one more thing I want to ask you about. Wh- what does ex- there's a tooltip implying that when I've got a an officer down, if I execute him, I get some bonus. But the tooltip oh, yeah. is kind of it's kind of coy, and it says, "Hey, it'll help motivation." <laughs> Explain to me what happens if I go ahead and execute an officer who's wounded.
1: Why don't you execute a guy and see what I happens? Know because it's, I know, because I can't save and
0: load. <laughs> is there bit, bit, okay, you know what? Actually, this is fair enough, Dave. It, that that tooltip isn't just a cute little flavor text, right? Like, I get something if I execute an officer. Oh, is yeah. that correct? Oh, okay, then you know what? I'm fine with you not telling me. I will, I will totally find out.
1: <laughs> uh, and just, then finally... Just remember that it's permanent for the mission. So if you execute that guy, you lose him for the mission. He'll sure. come back in the next mission but uh not for
0: that one <laughs> if it's a named guy he he yeah. doesn't come back wounded right uh no
1: no no okay good yeah. Yeah. it's just for that mission
0: uh and then finally and i i know you know the game has just come out i, I really there's there's so much content here but this seems like a game and i don't know uh i guess with slay away camp you guys have been doing crazy amounts of post-release content yeah. uh are there conversations or is it too early about post-release content or even paid DLC or extra factions? Where do you see uh, Space Tyrant going from here?
1: Yeah, I mean there's like there we actually have an entire nation that's just sitting around like ready to be well it's not ready to be used, but I mean it's like it, it's ready to be developed into a playable nation. Like mm-hmm. it's got a whole, you know, it's got all the ships, you know, all the, you know, powers and weapons and all that kind of stuff um so like that's that's primarily one of the things that we're looking forward to uh to add it's going to be like a lot of content ads and then uh one thing that i've always wanted to do was uh like barbarians you know how like civ has barbarians i wanted to do something like that kind of where you know like one planet would like have this kind of barbarian thing but then more than that it would be like almost like a plague that starts to take over the galaxy and it I'm would thinking be like of, like,
0: the, the Reavers and Firefly or something. Yes,
1: yes, precisely yeah. so, yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be something where, like, you could ignore it at your own peril or you could divert resources to try and take it that would be better used trying to take over the galaxy. Um, just kind of throw an interesting, uh, you know, wrench into the mechanics of, uh, you know, space conquest. Uh, well, the, so, you know, and, in, and in a way... That, the- there's just, I mean, I can't even tell you the number of features that we left along the side of the development trail getting to the point where we are and right, there's right. any one of them would be totally awesome like you know so i was talking about the uh the race which we call the squids uh, you know adding them and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that we had wanted to do for um star lanes because the star lanes right now there's there's basically three ty- kinds of star lanes and that's you know that's okay but it's like we really wanted to make the star lanes more interesting, you know, maybe, maybe being able to mine star lanes or star lanes that only let certain kinds of ships through or something. Ah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas, but primarily I would say that, yeah, we mostly content.
0: Sure. Great. Good. Well, I look forward to that. So,
1: well, Dave, I
0: appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to me today and uh, I particularly appreciate you guys making space tyrant. This is right up my alley and uh, I've really enjoyed it. You guys did a great job with it
1: thanks man, really
0: appreciate it we uh, we poured our blood, sweat and tears into it and we definitely love it so, uh, it's a really solid game it certainly shows Yeah. there you go Space Tyrant, currently available on Steam it's a $20 game uh, I don't think if you're into strategy games I think this is one you need to see I don't think there's anything really that competes with it at least in terms of offering this kind of streamlined, grand space strategy game. However, it does fit very much into a recent trend, which I really like, and that's taking these big, expansive strategy games and compressing them down. Uh, uh, Behemoth did this with Pit People, which is kind of a take on the, the massive ongoing... A tactical game like XCOM 2, where you do a whole campaign, you level up characters, or the Ogre Tactics genre, uh, pit people is that, uh, and very compressed. A lot of uh, the the detail that that bogs it down. Behemoth is just like, nah, we're gonna get rid of that. Uh, of course, Into the Breach, the folks that made FTL, so of course Into the Breach is great. Uh, that's also, a, a, what is that? It's a tactics game. You know, I don't know how you describe Into the Breach. We'll have more talk of this on later podcasts. But Space Tyrant fits very much in that trend with Pit People and Into the Breach of let's take great strategy gameplay, let's condense it into fewer, more interesting decisions, and therefore offer the experience with a lot less time and effort. So uh, thanks again to Dave Quinn. Uh, I will be back next week with Jason McMaster and Nick Diamond, uh, and you'll have some more babbling about what we're playing. Join us then. Cheers.